It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Harry S. Truman once said, Actions are the seeds of fate. Deeds grow into destiny. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we'll look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Am I failing as a Christian? Our theme text, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And Julie is also with us today. Hi, this one sounds a little scary. Should we be scared? <laughs> um, you know, that might be a good idea. So coming up in today's podcast, a lot of questions. To be a Christian is to be different. It's easy to say, but not easy to do. So how does my lifestyle reflect my faith? How do my actions back it up? How does my position in the community reflect that I'm truly a Christian? And what if I'm failing at all these things? We're going to look into these hard questions and more and offer some sound biblical solutions. But first, let's understand what the call to discipleship is all about. What does it mean to be a Christian and how do I know if I'm doing it right? Questions. What happens if I'm doing it wrong? Is there a clear-cut standard? Will Jesus be disappointed in me if I fall short? Am I expected to change who I am, or am I expected to develop who I am? Is my life supposed to be about everyone else, or do I just need to really love Jesus? Am I in line to get everything I want, or do I have to give everything up? How often do I have to go to church? Should I pursue a career? Do I have to study the Bible all the time? <sighs> wow. While defining success or failure as a Christian is not an exact science, it is a vitally important understanding we need to have. As we address these questions, our objective will be to find the biblical answers that can guide us to living our daily lives in accordance with God's will and word through Jesus. So there's a lot of ground to cover, and, and it's going to be done through asking a lot of questions with a lot of scriptures. So, Rick, is there a clear-cut standard? You asked the question, so is there? Is there. Well, let's begin at the beginning with the call to Christianity. And yes, there is a clear-cut standard for this call, but it doesn't mean every faithful Christian looks at it the same, thinks the same, or develops Christian maturity in the same way. So there is a clear-cut standard, but we approach it individually. As we go through today's episode, we're going to ask discipleship questions. We're going to be giving discipleship decision-making processes and discussing a lot of pieces. So let's start with our first discipleship question regarding this idea of this standard. Julie, what do we have? Have I received the call to discipleship successfully, or have I failed to recognize it for what it is? So let's get basic. What is the call to discipleship? You know, we've all heard that term altar call. That's when there's an invitation at some churches to come forward and publicly accept Jesus Christ as your savior. And some people do this in the emotions of the moment or because maybe they, it seems expected and they wondered, now what? Did my life just change somehow? Did I just make some sort of promise? And it's interesting that a lot of people do wonder what just happened. 
That should be a warning sign as we go through this. We're not going to answer all of that right now. We're going to come back around to it later. Let's lay out scriptural principles. So discipleship, this is what we're focusing on, actually begins with a decision by God, not you, but by God to call you. Jonathan, let's go to John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the decision is God's to call. It, that's what Jesus is telling us. This call is from God, is specific, and it goes out to many. All don't answer, or maybe not, don't even hear this call. This has been the case with Jews of Jesus' time, as well as through the entire age of the gospel and with people now. It is a call that originates from God. It's an individual call. He's not calling just, I'm going to call the state of New York. He's calling individuals. That's the first key we need to understand about discipleship. We do have a part, though. Answering the call to Christianity. That's something, and Julie, you alluded to that in your initial setup with the altar call. Answering the call to Christianity is not an emotional decision. It needs to be a thought-out commitment. Luke 14, 27 and 28. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? So Jesus goes on with a parable that develops that thought of building the tower and going into battle. And his whole point is you need to know what you're doing. Discipleship is costly. Jesus taught us to count that cost carefully. It, not to rush, to count that cost carefully. So the question is, will we follow through on his teaching? Now, all the points in this episode deserve really a detailed topical study. So I want to refer everyone to episode 1170, Does Being a Christian Have to be Difficult? Examining what discipleship is and what it's not. And there we asked a very important question, am I self-centered or Christ-centered? Now, some may be content with the idea of being a good person and being inspired by the word of God. That's great, but that's not discipleship. Hmm. Discipleship is to be a learner and a follower. Are we prepared to give our time, our possessions, our wills to do God's will? Do we have the determination to fulfill what is required? The call is personal. Are you going to build your tower? It's a lifelong project to grow in Christ. It's your choice. And th- that is, so we, we, we started out by saying, you know, it's God's choice, but then it becomes our choice. If he's putting the call out, we have to choose to consider it carefully as we look to potentially answer that call. So we do have a choice, but it has to be a considered choice not an emotional reaction. Many who follow along with Jesus do so for the personal comfort they receive, for the emotionalism, if to, to, to get blunt about it. Jesus himself called out this very behavior. The next scripture we're going to look at takes place shortly after the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Now think about it. Jesus just fed 5,000 people with a handful of food. You talk about a miraculous event. Here's what he says about that event and the masses of people that were beginning to follow him here. John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. So he's focusing us on working toward those spiritual things, not what I can feel like I get that makes me feel good. That's the difference. That's what we're focusing on here. So, Jonathan, we talked, Julie gave us a discipleship question earlier about the call to discipleship. What's our discipleship decision based on the scriptures and principles we've laid out? Am I progressing as a disciple because I've received the mission of the gospel with clarity, or am I failing because I have reinterpreted the mission to suit me? So let's focus on reinterpreting the mission for a moment. What do we mean by reinterpreting the mission? Sometimes we look at the call of Christ and we add to it things that make us feel good or make us feel comfortable, or we add in our own personal goals and objectives. That is reinterpreting the mission. The mission is to follow in Jesus' footsteps, not follow in Jesus' footsteps with Rick's signature, but follow in Jesus' footsteps. Not follow in Jesus' footsteps so Rick can do what he really wants to do kind of off on the side, but follow in Jesus' footsteps. I cannot reinterpret that mission. It is a call for a very specific end result. So back to revisiting our discipleship question we asked at the beginning, have I received the call to discipleship successfully or have I failed to recognize it for what it is? You know, do I think, well, I came to Christ, whatever that actually means, hmm. and now I'm going to heaven. Like, is that using the name, but misrepresenting the purpose? How do I know if I'm being called? Well, first of all, the idea of being called, it's an important principle to understand. It comes from God, and it is a burning desire to find out, to look into, to understand, and and to grow. It's not, and and I I apologize, I'm going to keep using the same phrases, but it's not an emotional, oh, this feels good. That is not being called. That's just being soothed. There's a difference between being called to sacrifice and having our emotions soothed so we feel better. That's what we're talking about here. It's much, much bigger. And it's easy to fall into that emotional dedication loop, isn't it? And that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a loop. It's, a, it's an emotional loop. We get it, and folks, that happens to us when we have all kinds of experiences. We get into this emotional loop, and we go round and round and round and don't go anywhere forward. That's not what the call to discipleship is about. So now we look at this whole situation. What if, what if you failed in responding to the call? Because this is, uh, the, the, the title today is, am I failing as a Christian? What if you failed? Here's the questions we have to ask ourselves. Do you love Jesus? Okay, good. Do you want to do God's will? Okay, good. So if the answer to those two questions is yes and yes, absolutely, because the two are absolutely connected, then repent. If you failed, repent. Learn from your mistakes, learn from these scriptures we talked about, learn from the principles that we talked about, and then let's move on to the next thing. Now, those that explanation they just gave you has a lot of details involved in it. I'm going to break it down as we go through uh, each, each segment here. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to do God's will? I'm going to break down that piece right here just for a quick moment. It's one thing to love Jesus, but it's another thing to love Jesus in a way that makes us act in a way that says, I'm going to put my will aside. I love Jesus so much. I will do whatever it is God would have me to do, even if I, Rick, don't want to do it. That's what it means to love Jesus and to want to do God's will. I've got a side question. A lot of people say, Jesus loves you. And the famous bumper sticker, you know, honk if you love Jesus. How do you love somebody you've never met? 
And is loving Jesus a prerequisite to being called to this discipleship, or does that love automatically grow in time? Well, first of all, how do you love somebody you never met? You love somebody you never met because you learn about who they are, what they did, what their impact is, what their character is, what their mission is, and you say, that is an awesome thing. I am so inspired. I want to grow up and be like that. So you can learn by just studying and observing. Do you have to love Jesus before you're called? No, absolutely not. Why do I say that so emphatically? Because the Apostle Paul didn't. The Apostle Paul hated Jesus. He did. And he was on his way to destroy Christians when he was interrupted by Jesus himself. God, the Apostle Paul loved God, but was not serving him correctly. All Jesus needed to do was take his zeal for God and turn it in the right direction. So we need to put these things in order. There are three things we need to ask ourselves when answering God's call. One, do we recognize that we are sinners? Yes. Two, do we accept Jesus as our personal Savior? Yes. And three, have you made an unreserved vow and commitment to do God's will for the rest of your life? And that should also be in the affirmative, yes. So loving Jesus requires action. Absolutely, and that's the point. It's not an emotion, it's an action, and it's an action of sacrifice. That's really where we're going here. So success or failure as a Christian really does depend on a fundamental understanding of what it will cost us. Now that we see the high standard, are we expected to change who we are or to develop who we are? Okay, the answer here is yes to both, but be careful. It's far too easy easy to look at the self-development part of the question through the eyes of human ambition. Successfully developing as a disciple of Christ requires that development to be focused through God's will and providence and not our own ambitions. And I cannot stress this enough. We confuse our own ambitions and our own emotions with the will of God. Don't do that. The self-development we're going to talk about is development in Christ. And we're going to see that uh, unfold as we go through this, uh, this particular segment. So, Julie, what's our next discipleship question? So we want to ask ourselves, do my lifestyle and choices coincide with sound discipleship principles or do my lifestyle and choices fall far short and support earthly emotions and desires instead? And I wanted to get practical. You know, the question really is, what does my life look like to others? How involved should I be in politics? Is it okay to live with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Is it okay to spend money on this or that? How are we going to make these kind of decisions? Wow, you're, <laughs> these are hard questions. And, and, and many of these questions are very, very individual, except for the moral ones. The moral ones are easy. No. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> if the Bible says no, the answer is no. Those are really easy. A lot of those other things, though, there's a value judgment, and we'll, we'll expand on that as we go. But the bottom line here is, do you want to do the will of God through Christ? And if you have that as your primary objective, dealing with all those questions becomes far easier. Let's look at Jesus. He's our ultimate model for lifestyle and choice. If you want to look at somebody and model them, here's the guy. As a man, he put his own will aside. And this is prophetically told to us in Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I mean, look look at the desire. I delight to do your will. That's hard. 
and we know that. It can be very difficult because the next scripture we're going to go to is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion. This is about doing God's will, Matthew 26, 39. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus is our is our model and there were things that were very difficult for him but he did them anyway because it was the will of the father he was the exact model that we want to follow we want to 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 work towards that and you know the thing is jesus also needed to suffer he needed to hebrews 5 8 tells us that though he were a son yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and that word suffered means to experience a sensation or impression, usually painful. So Jesus learned obedience. You think, how did Jesus need to learn obedience? He needed to know how to be obedient as a perfect man, to do the will of God, not do the will of a perfect man, but to do the will of God, which is above that will. And here's the thing. Jesus wasn't suffering every day of his life, but he was sacrificing his own will every day. And in many cases, it was a joyful sacrifice because that Psalm scripture, I delight to do your will. It's my favorite thing in life. So there was a lot of joy involved in that, but he was experiencing being offered up every single day, whether it hurt or whether it was joyful, it was always being offered up in the will of God. This topic of suffering is the one that we get the most mail from, about, from our listeners. And so if you'd like to go deeper scripturally on this, please listen to episode 1176, Does God Really Want Me to Suffer? Putting Our Personal Sufferings into Context Within God's Plan. All right, good. And, and folks, you need to look at these other podcasts because we're touching on so many different things, and these other podcasts delve into each one of these things. So if you want to get the sense of what Christianity is, Take the time to do the study and, and get the bigger, bigger picture. So as we look at the example of Jesus, we are also compelled to give up our own will. So, and, we, and Jonathan, you initially asked the question, are we expected to change who we are or develop who we are? Let's focus on changing who we are right now. To change who we are, we have to suffer for the sake of God's will, like Jesus. It's not easy. Giving up our own will is not an instant decision. It is a process. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And that, that phrase, do not be conformed to this world, that Greek word for conformed here, it means to conform your mind and character to the pattern of another. It's being contrasted with transformed. We're to break out of that pattern of sin, greed, selfishness, violence, and so on that the world is in. And I wanted to read uh, Romans 12, 2 from the Living Bible. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. And that's the thing. It's changing the expectation of our lives to having an expectation that will please God versus an expectation that makes Rick happy. You know, Rick can be happy with a lot of different things, but God is not happy with all of those things. So Rick has to decide that it's God's joy that I want to be seeking, not 
mine. So th- this, this transformation challenge is a result of God's Spirit working within us. And this is an important factor in this whole being a Christian uh, attempt with our lives, at, at being disciples. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Being a new creature means that God's power and influence has taken root within you, and it dwells within you and drives you. This is what being a Christian really boils down to. These these scriptures are focusing us on changing who we are to become Christ-like, and this is an absolute positive necessity. So we need to change who we are. Unequivocally, we need to change who we are. So now let's take a moment and look at developing who we are in all of our imperfect glory to become more Christ-like. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, our imperfect glory, really? Uh, wait, imperfect and glory don't seem to fit together here, Rick. I know, that's why I said it. I'm trying to be a little sarcastic. I mean, think about it. We're presenting this imperfect individual to God, say, here I am. And it's like, we're, where's the value? Because we're sinful. Our value is through Christ. So our imperfect glory actually is making room for the righteousness of Christ. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> so let's go to the scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and we'll take it in a few pieces. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. See, this is all about developing who we are. But the, the, the requirements of who we are is to develop ourselves into godly traits, just like you just read, Jonathan. And so now what's the result of these? Let's go to verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So having these qualities in you renders you useful to God. Now think about that. You are useful to the creator of the universe. I don't know about you, but I sign up for that because that is a really wonderful place to live. Absolutely. I want to be useful to God. How do I do that? I develop those things. Now here's the other side, verses 9 and 10. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So not, so, oh, I'm sorry. Hold on, Rick. It, is this the, the um, scripture that the phrase comes from, practice makes perfect? I don't know if that's where it came from, but that's a pretty good, a pretty good connection. And, you know, I heard somebody once say, perfect practice makes perfect. And that's what this scripture is describing. It's describing godliness. Practice godliness, that higher level of godliness. Not my interpretation, but that higher level, and you will never stumble. That's really what it boils down to. So our lives are a continual process of shaping our human character to fit into the mold of discipleship. We have to develop who we are to fit into that mold. This is a major factor in attaining Christian maturity. And that's what being a Christian really is about. It's about maturity in Christ. So we've talked about developing who we are here and develop and changing who we are. Now let's look at how to successfully combine changing who we are and developing who we are. 
Who else but the Apostle Paul shows us how to do that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, and we'll take that, this in a couple of pieces as well. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. He's talking about keeping himself from exalting himself. See, that's the wrong kind of development. And he's realizing that the difficulties of his life kept him away from developing improperly. And he had this issue, and it was a serious problem. And what does he do? Verses 8 in the first part of verse 9. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here, he gets the answer from Jesus. No, I'm not taking this problem from you because my grace is sufficient because strength, spiritual strength, is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's next reaction is then, uh, okay, I'm going to boast then about my weaknesses because the power of Christ can dwell within me. See, that's the proper self-development. I can now look at my weaknesses and say, praise God for those because that's where his strength can, can come through. And then he goes on about being content and all of that and saying, uh, when I'm weak, then I am strong. That's changing who we are. That's, that's, that's putting ourselves in the place of letting God's Spirit drive our lives instead of us trying to drive our lives in spite of God's Spirit trying to drive us in a different direction. And, you know, the Bible never tells us what this thorn in the flesh was, but we have good reason to believe that it was his eyesight was injured from his, uh, the vision that he had received of Jesus. Yeah, yeah there, there, are, there are some, some perspectives. What, whatever it was, it was a really difficult thing for him. He wouldn't have prayed three times if it wasn't something that was so big in his life. So here's the bottom line is we need to be changing who we are because that is growing into spiritual expectations instead of earthly expectations. So Jonathan, what's our discipleship decision here? Am I progressing as a disciple because I am willing to develop all of what I am and have been given to the cause of Christ? Or Am I failing in my discipleship because I'm willfully destroying opportunities for spiritual maturity because they don't suit my natural preferences? And that is an ouch question to ask ourselves. I mean, <laughs> the way you phrase that, am I willfully destroying opportunities for spiritual maturity? Folks, think about that. Think long and hard because we want to be building ourselves up. We don't want to be failing along those lines. So now with everything we've just discussed, let's go back to our original discipleship question. Do my lifestyle and choices coincide with sound discipleship principles, or do my lifestyle and choices far, fall far short and support earthly emotions and desires instead? And, you know, then we go back, we apply all this to those questions. You know, how active are we in politics? Should we live with someone before marriage? How do we manage our money? These kind of scriptural principles should help us be able to start answering those questions each for ourselves. And we need to do that. We need to take those issues and put them squarely in front of scriptural principle and not be afraid of where the principle drives us. See, we like to drive the principle if we have a preference, but we cannot do that because we are disciples. A disciple is a follower, not a leader. We are following Christ following the scriptures. So 
What if we failed in developing our character and changing ourselves? Here's the questions we have to ask ourselves all over again. Do you love Jesus? Okay. Do you want to do God's will? Okay, good. If you do, what do you do? You need to repent. You need to learn from your mistakes, learn from the scriptures we just talked about, learn from the principles that are on the table, and then let's move on to the next thing. The idea here, let's focus on the repentance part. Repentance is a big deal. It is a changing of direction. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. And for more on repentance, we would recommend episode 1082, How Do I Live a Life of Repentance? This episode explained how there's a process to repentance, and it's not a casual recognition of wrong. It's not regret. Regret causes us to pause because something we thought or did didn't sit well in our heart or mind. But repentance causes us to stop, observe, process, conclude, and then fundamentally change direction. And one of the quotes that you had from this podcast that I really, it hit me hard, willful sin which includes feigning repentance, indicates a severe lack of reverence for God, end quote. So seen in this light, it really should shift how we view intentionally doing what we know is wrong or what we even suspect might be wrong. And, and I like the way you added that, what we even might suspect can be wrong. Folks, discipleship is not a game. It is a way of life, and there's a lot on the table. We need to focus ourselves directly on doing what a disciple is supposed to do, learn and follow, learn and follow. So whether we are changing who we are or developing who we are, it always must be for the glory of God. Is my life supposed to be about everyone else or do I just need to focus on really loving Jesus? Once again, the best discipleship answer has to do with a spiritually healthy combination of both things. As Christians, we are supposed to be all about others. After all, Jesus died for the world. This doesn't cancel, though, the deep-seated need we all have to personally love and live for Christ. So yes, it is supposed to be about everyone else, but we can't forget focusing on loving and living for Christ. It's so important. And folks, the, the, the question on the table, am I failing as a Christian? We're asking this question and putting all of these pieces in place because there's so much to this. Pay close attention. Follow through with the scriptures. Julie, what's our next discipleship question? We're on to our intentions and actions. So do my intentions and actions aptly reflect the focus and deeds of a footstep follower of Christ, or do they fail that standard and simply blend in with the rest of the world? Hmm. Now, this is a smaller than those obvious lifestyle questions, kind of a smaller topic that you know everyone can see our lifestyle. But this might be something like telling off-color jokes or online flirting with someone who's married or if we're married. What about being easily irritated and not patient with others in our circumstances? Maybe making sure your boss knows something negative about that coworker who's up for the same promotion as you. Or maybe you've got an opportunity to co-labor with other Christians, but a more exciting opportunity comes up that day with someone you'd really rather spend time with. These are just like little things that are kind of, yeah, they're no big deal, right? <laughs> no big deal, huh? <laughs> and and that's, that's one of the challenges. We can say, oh, it's no big deal. Is it, if Jesus were sitting right next to you, would you still say, would you turn to Jesus and say, ha, no big deal? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Case, no, that's a good point. No, I wouldn't. Case Ugh. 
closed. And, you know, James, James bluntly diagnosed this issue of worldly thinking within a Christian environment. And I stress within a Christian environment. Self-centered intentions and actions only bring disunity with our Father. Do you want to be unified with God or out of harmony with God? Make your choice. Take your time. I know what I'd pick. Here's what James says about this worldly thinking. James 4, verses 3 and 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There you go. (laughs) James talks about becoming an enemy of God. He's writing to Christians. He talks about becoming an enemy of God. He talks about becoming spiritual adulteresses. So, but why? Because we're looking, we're looking with the wrong motives to spend what we are looking for on our own desires. That's how serious this is. So when Julie said, ah, no big deal, eh, read James chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, six or seven times, and then picture yourself sitting next to Jesus and, and trying to do that little online flirting and see how that goes for you. Um, instead of success as a disciple of Christ, uh, what we, what we need to do, I'm sorry, instead, success as a disciple of Christ depends on walking away from what was, walking away from our habits, from our feelings, and walking towards something else. So let's focus on the walking away part first. Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But whatever things are gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Think about the Apostle Paul and the incredible success he had as a man, as a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was at the top of the food chain within Jewish, uh, within the Jewish hierarchy. And he says, I count that as rubbish. Why? Because he learned about discipleship. He learned about following and doing the will of God instead of being on top of a politically driven organization that, was, that had its own agenda. Big difference. So he walked away from those things, and the verses continue in verses 13 and 14, and he's walking toward Christ. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, I love that part. I press toward the goal. You know, seeing the goal, the why of why we're disciples every day is so important. And it's interesting. Everyone's why is a little different, isn't it? It is. But our why, and really should work on that. What, what is your why, especially in terms of being a disciple? And that why has got to be something that drives you toward Christ. And that means a willingness to be driven away from everything else. Now, obviously, your family stays with you. I mean, there are very basic principles that we don't abandon, obviously. But we have to be willing to put everything else aside, make everything else secondary, because Christ is first. Our why is critically important. And if you don't know what it is, work on it. Think about it. Our whole purpose 
is to be a small but vital part that operates within the body of Christ. Now, Jonathan, your original question was, is my life supposed to be about everybody else, or do I just need to focus really on loving Jesus? Yes, we've just shown you focus on loving Jesus is really important, but the other part is being about others. Romans 12, 4 to 5. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. If you're members one of another, doesn't that give you the sense that you need to be paying attention to one another? That you need to be supporting and working with and co-laboring and holding on to and encouraging one another? If you're members one of another, that means if they fall, you're going to fall. That's not a good thing. Help them up. Stay up. Work toward the goal of supporting the body of Christ. This is critically important if we're going to be true Christians. So, Jonathan, in relation to our intentions and our actions, what's our discipleship decision now going to be? Do my intentions and actions proactively support not only my discipleship, but the discipleship of others? Or do they fail to be supportive and end up subverting Christ-likeness? And so let's go back to our original discipleship question. Do my intentions and actions aptly reflect the focus and deeds of a footstep follower of Christ, or do they fail that standard and simply blend in with the rest of the world? So maybe we can answer our own questions here. Maybe Mm -hmm. a little flirting, quick to anger, a little sabotage. I'd rather do something more fun than be with my church group, a little here, a little there. What's the harm? Seems like there could be a lot of harm. Well, and... Not only seems like there is, and, and you know you've heard the oh, phrase. See, I'm still looking for loopholes. Yeah. Well, seems like yeah. maybe right, and, 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 and you know what, Julie? That that's I'm glad you said that because that's the way we tend to reason through these things. Ah, uh, it can't be that bad, and we right. generalize it and don't put it into a specific category. Is it honoring God and walking in Jesus' footsteps or not? There, okay, yeah, okay, no. There. And if the answer is no, then why am I doing it? Right. Why am I considering it? Why haven't I walked away from it? Those are, the, those are the things we need to look at here. And this is intentions and actions. This is within us. So we look at this whole situation and we say, okay, what if I failed to be spiritual in my intentions and actions? What if I've, I look at this and, and like you were saying, Julie, it's like, oh man, wow, what a mess I've just made. Well, I'm going to say the same thing that we've been saying again and again and again. Why? Because the process of what we keep suggesting is a process that works. It's spiritually sound, it's scripturally sound, and will help you write the ship if you really want to write it. Do you love Jesus? And just as important, do you want to do God's will? Remember, loving Jesus, you can. that's easy to write down. It's easy to show. But doing God's will, different story. You've got it, that's action. And if, if you do love Jesus and you, you want to do God's will, then repent. Learn from your mistakes, Learn from the scriptures we just talked about. Learn from the principles we just put on the table. And then let's move on to the next thing. Sometimes we analyze ourselves. And when we really analyze ourselves, like even the secret, dark, yucky parts, we wonder how God can ever forgive us Mm -hmm. for treating all he's given us so casually instead of in a sacred way. So forgiveness plays a part in this. And I did want to bring up episode 935, Does God Really Forgive Me? In that episode, you explained scripturally how our forgiveness from God and for each other works. And in this episode, you said, God by nature is compassionate, patient, and loving. 
And our trusting in his compassion, patience, and love is where our growth and maturity happens. It's a godly principle to accept forgiveness when it is offered. What we're saying is, according to Scripture, we need to learn from our mistakes. Okay, Rick, on to the next question. (laughs) Am I in line to get, (laughs) uh, how how many more do you want? (laughs) Am I in line to get everything I want or do I have to give everything up? And, you know, the, the way these questions are phrased, they're very dramatic, if you notice. And, and, and we're putting dramatic questions on the table purposefully because we tend to ask the dramatic question. So if there's any chink in the, in, in the answer, if there's any, any little weak spot, we can say, oh, okay, so it's not so bad. And we can do just what Julie said we just shouldn't do after going through the previous uh, pieces. So now we're going on to another discipleship question based on, Am I in line to get everything I want, or do I have to give everything up? Okay. Does my attitude towards my position and possessions support my proclaimed position of discipleship and my position of giving, or am I holding on to what I have to hoard it for my own purposes? So this is about stewardship, and that's the proverbial question. If I follow Christ, am I supposed to sell everything I live have and go live on a mountain somewhere? So these are the questions. Should I go to college? Should I go to grad school? Should I put in all that extra time to move up the corporate ladder? Do I buy a bigger house, another car? Do I need the latest phone, the sneakers, electronics? How do I spend my free time? Am I using what I have to help others? And again, because we can't really go into the whole decision-making process here, I'm going to refer another episode, 1167, Can Good Things Ever Be Bad? There we developed a decision tree to help us maintain spiritual excellence in all we do. So hopefully that plus what we're going to talk about will help answer some of these questions. I don't know about you guys, but I think I want to go back through this episode and count the number of questions that you guys are asking. (laughs) (laughs) Because This is life, though. Life is questions. And that's why we're... We're, we're approaching it this way, because by asking the questions, it can hopefully touch our hearts to say, oh, I've asked that question. Maybe not out loud, but I've asked that question. What should I be doing with it? So let's look at this. We're called to be stewards. And like you said, a steward is one who takes care of their master's goods as if those goods were their own. This is an extraordinary responsibility, which requires extraordinary discipline. And really, we're talking about how do I handle as a steward? How do I handle God's stuff? Because that's what we're taking care of, essentially. First Corinthians 4, 1-2. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So we are stewards of the mysteries of God, and you're supposed to be faithful to that. Now, we're supposed to be faithful to take care of God's stuff, but the next scripture, we are God's property, therefore responsible as stewards over our very own lives, 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Great. So God owns us in everything we have. So how do we reflect that in our daily lives? And that, see, that's one of those big questions. And if I want to be successful as a Christian and not fail, I have to ask myself, how am I handling myself? Because God owns me. When you gave yourself to God through Christ, you said, take my life. My life is yours to direct however you want. I will do anything you say. So we need to say, I've got to handle my life in in that way. Classic scriptural example. Remember the rich young ruler? He was enthusiastically faithful to the law. Jesus saw this Jesus knew his heart was good, 
But he also knew that this rich young ruler's attachment to earthly wealth was far too significant. So we're going to drop in on the story after they have their conversation and Jesus' conclusion here. Mark 10, 21 to 23. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it'll be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Well, notice Jesus doesn't say it's impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. He says it's difficult. And there's a big difference between the two. We can't be too attached. Our hearts must be willing to let go of our attachments to earthly possessions. And if our heart is so positioned, God often will give us stewardship of those possessions to use in a service. But we have to do what we're supposed to do and use them in God's service. Jonathan, what's our discipleship decision here? Does my attitude towards whatever earthly position or possessions I have build up the focus of my discipleship? Or does my attitude towards position and possessions betray the very principles of Christ-likeness? Am I betraying the principles of Christ-likeness? That's a big, big statement. We have to be clear on where we're going with these things. We have to be willing to ask these questions so we are not failing as a Christian. And so all those questions we asked about what we do and what we acquire or let go— these big and small decisions are included in our Christian liberty. So we each have to decide what's best for our highest spiritual welfare, recognizing that we still have to live in this physical world. But by applying these scriptural principles, it will help us make God-honoring decisions. And that's what we want to do. And that's what we need to do. Not only that, that's what we're required to do. If you are a disciple of Christ, it's in the contract. So let's put everything aside and let's move forward. Again, what if you failed in properly assessing your position and your possessions? And you know what I'm going to say now, right? You know what I'm going to say. Do we love Jesus? Okay, good. Do you want to do God's will? That's the key. And if the answer to those questions is yes, then repent. We talked about that. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from these scriptures we talked about. Learn from the principles on the table. And then let's move on to the next thing. Learning is such an important part of this thing. It's one thing to hear it and to say, okay, I get it. But to learn it means it becomes a part of you. Let us not forget that piece. And we can also learn from the mistakes of others in the body of Christ as well. <laughs> boy, talk about efficiency. If we pay attention, <laughs> boy, you can learn so much more if you see how others have fallen and gotten up. And that's what fellowship really is. It's and we can help them too if we're observant. And they can help us as well. So it, it's, right. a, it's definitely a win-win circumstance. Being a disciple of Jesus is a whole person experience. We need to accept its influences in all aspects of our lives. How often do I have to go to church? Should I pursue a career? Do I have to study the Bible all the time? You guys keep asking questions. We can be asking these questions for a variety of reasons. We may be asking you to search out what our minimum discipleship requirements are. If that's what we're doing, then stop. Look in the mirror and ask a question. Assess what you really want out of life. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to the Lord. 
Or we can ask these questions because we're, we legitimately want to know how best to follow. If so, if that's what you're asking, how do I best follow? Then let's proceed. Julie, what's our next discipleship question? Does how I spend my time reveal a life fully invested into discipleship and service, or does it expose a serious disconnect with God-based actions and spiritual maturity? So one of the questions is uh, that I got out of this is, can I reflect Christ in even the mundane things that I have to do? So it's the difference between, ugh, do I have to clean the bathroom? And I get to clean the bathroom because <laughs> millions of people around the world do not have a house with a bathroom to even clean. So that's step one. But let's get bigger. Do people see me as resentful, scared, competitive, worried, angry all the time, keeping close account to make sure that we get all that's due us? They should be seeing in us something different because of that transformation that we're going through that we've been talking about. Now, here's the thing. Maybe your human nature is naturally anger or anxious or angry or anxious or something like that. It doesn't sure. mean that if you're in Christ, that just vanishes. It doesn't mean that you can just cover it over and it goes away. What people should see is if we are struggling with those things, they should see us struggle. They should see us fall down and then get up, fall down and then apologize. That's what they should see. So even if you're just working through it, you need to work up toward Christ-likeness. And even if you're faulty, God knows, God understands. And the effort is what people see. Jonathan, a couple of lines from a wonderful poem by Edgar Guest. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. Oh, and I've got another one for you. John Wesley, the co-founder of the Methodist Church, said, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. And, you know, so what we take from these things is being an example. And an example isn't a perfect human being, the perfect specimen. The example is one who's striving, one who is courteous, one who is humble enough to admit mistakes and try again and to, and to be helpful to others and to, and to just rise above and continue to, to, to work at it even if we're not good at it. That's the example that people remember. So our lives preach a sermon. Here's the question. Which sermon is my life preaching? We're going to give you two examples. This first example we're going to call the Sermon of Sin. Hint, don't try this at home. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Won't inherit the kingdom. Like I said, don't try this at home. This, these are natural parts of us. And what discipleship says is we have to put those things aside. Our second choice is the Sermon of Sanctification. Now, sanctification means to be set apart for a holy purpose. Here's that sermon, the very next verses in Galatians, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, the question is, do I spend my time in the deeds of the flesh or living the fruit of the Spirit? If I can't see the fruit, what good is it? Fruit is meant to be the end result of something. My time is my discipleship revealed. 
how I spend my time shows how I live my discipleship. Is there spiritual fruitage, in, like, like in Galatians 5, 22 or 23, or is it earthly fruitage like those previous verses? Which sermon does my life preach? Which sermon is on display every day that I live? With all of this being said, now let's get to our questions. And Julie, I know you've got another question. Go ahead. Well, you know, when you first started and talked about minimum discipleship requirement, yeah, that really piqued my interest because I think a lot of people would ask, well, how often do I have to go to church? You know, just tell me and that's, that's what I'm going to do. Okay. <laughs> and again, we look for the minimum requirements sometimes when we ask that question. Well, my answer to that would be, well, let me ask you this. How often do the best athletes consult with their coaches? <laughs> okay. Now that's, that's really good. They are needing guidance all the time. The tweaking, right. the, the dis- discipline, the focus, the, the, the um, instruction, and that's what we need as well. We, how often do we have to go to church? Well, let's look. Let's look at Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Now, they had a long message that day. But the point is, the disciples got together on a weekly basis. That's a good beginning standard for us. At mm-hmm. least get yourself together regularly. I can't answer it for every individual, but I can say that the scriptures tell us that we have to draw ourselves together one to another. But what if we go to church and we're just not getting anything out of it? All right. That, and that's a, that's a legitimate question. And, and, and folks, look, if you're listening and that's the case— you have to ask yourself, why am I not getting anything out of it? And is it because I'm not applying myself? Or is it because I'm feeling like the, the, the message I'm getting isn't spiritually sound or strong enough? And if that's the case, honestly and truly, and I mean this sincerely, drop us a note. Email us. Because what we need is spiritual growth and development based on Scripture. And you want to find a place that you can go where you've got scriptures guiding you because you're a disciple. And if we're learning to walk in Jesus' footsteps, we have to know Jesus' footsteps. We have to know the scriptures. So inspiration at christianquestions.com. There you go. Okay. Our regular meeting together, one more scripture on this. It, It fuels us to combat the world of deception that surrounds us. And make no mistake, because we live at the time when we live, the world is very very deceptive. Second Timothy 4, verses 3 to 5. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but waiting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So the scriptures warn us that there would be places that people go where there's not spiritual fulfillment. And so we need to be aware of that and draw ourselves toward that which is spiritually sound. We need to seek spiritual food, fellowship, and enlightenment regularly. The body of Christ is many individual parts that all contribute to making the entire body function as a single unit. That's what we need to strive for. How are you going to feed others if you're not going to be around others who need the feeding? Right. And how are you going to be fed if you're not around others who are actually going to be feeding you something good? (laughs) Okay. So it works both ways. All right, Julie, another question. I can see it. All right. So should I pursue a career that can take a lot of time and energy and money? And we all should be caring for ourselves and our families. Okay. Look, 
We can't answer the individual questions, but here's the principle that we need to live by. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 12. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons who command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Eat their own bread. So the scriptural admonition here is make sure you are taking care of yourself. Make sure you are responsible. That's what a disciple of Christ does. As we pursue how to care for ourselves, our focus must be that of a disciple, and that means we are seeking God's will. End of statement, beginning of statement, and the statement in the middle. We are seeking God's will. James 4, 13 to 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. So it's about doing God's will. Should I be pursuing a career? Put it to the Lord in prayer. Look for direction and look for the humility of God's direction rather than what Rick wants. Rick knows what he wants. And what Rick wants kind of overrides everything else. And I have to put Rick's will down and pick up the will of God through Christ to be able to see it more clearly. A disciple's mentality is to follow instruction and then act with diligence. When it comes to earning a living, my question is, whose instruction am I following? Am I following instruction scripturally and principally from God, or is it my own desire? If the Lord wills, that's first and foremost. Now, if he doesn't will it, then I won't. Or will you find a way to do it anyway, knowing God said no? And because, you know, Jonathan, what we can do with that is we can say, well, you know, God didn't really give me that strong a direction, so I think I'll do what I want. And, and we can bend it. And folks, it's too easy to bend. Scriptural principle is scriptural principle. We need to focus on that. Next question, Julie. All right, this is my last one. Okay. Do I have to study the Bible all the time? Well, how well do you want to know how to cope with life, how to understand the future, how to find hope, courage, inspiration, and direction? How about uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So do I have to study the Bible all the time? Again, oftentimes we ask that question because we're looking for that way to say, no, you don't really have to study all. Phew. And then we put it out of our minds. This, what this is saying is that the scriptures are inspired by God. And they're profitable for teaching. And if it's something that's inspired by God and profitable, why wouldn't we want to know it? Why wouldn't we want to make it a steady diet in our lives? It's one thing to know the answers are there in Scripture and are the words of God. But it's another thing entirely to make them your own by studying them yourself. 2 Timothy 2, 14 and 15. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We are workmen in the service of God through Christ. We must learn to accurately handle the word of truth as best as we can. Jonathan, our final discipleship decision. 
Does the way I spend my time clearly fulfill the requirements of a disciple's life, or does it fail to represent the honor, discipline, and character of of a follower of Jesus? So our discipleship question at the beginning was, um, how do I spend my time? Does it reveal a life invested in this discipleship and service, or is it a serious disconnect with my spiritual maturity? So in other words, when my time, can I reflect Christ in even the mundane things I do? And I can be thankful for the unimportant moments. But in addition, is my life reflecting the light of God through Jesus to others? That's the key. That's what discipleship really is all about. So again, one last time, folks, what if, I, if you failed in your decisions regarding how you spend your time? Again, do you love Jesus? Do you want to do God's will? All right, if so, repent. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from these scriptures. Learn from the principles that we've been talking about. And then let's move on to the next thing. Learning means moving on. It means accepting, changing, and moving forward. Moving on is really hard, though, because there's regret, there's shame, there's all kinds of things that hold us back. So episode 1187, how can we overcome crushing guilt is what I would recommend. That is learning how to face, understand, and conquer guilt and shame. It was a powerful episode with a special guest who accidentally killed someone in a horrific car accident. We explored how her Christian faith helped her process the aftermath in the years that followed. There's still hope. Move on. So folks, look. This is about becoming a Christian. This is about deciding to be a real, true disciple. This is about asking all of those really hard questions and taking the questions that we just sort of flippantly ask and making them serious questions to assess, where am I? Am I actually working at following Christ or am I just pretending and feeling good as I go? There's an enormous difference and we need to take the name of Jesus seriously We need to walk the walk because we talk the talk. And that means we need to abide by Scripture. Be the follower. Be that person who steps up and gives up things so that we can honor God in everything that we do. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channels, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, entirely different kind of subject. Next week, could Jesus return... Without you knowing, could Jesus return without you knowing? Well, we'll talk about that next week.